This week on Merchants of Change, we've got Sianna Levi. Sianna is currently an enterprise SDR at Outreach. She spent four years as a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader and two years dancing for the Portland Trail Blazers in the NBA before making the shift into sales. Here she is, Sianna Levi. I'm JR Buckley co-founder and CEO of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes and military veterans into becoming a professional salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing? Today on the show, we've got Sienna Levi. Uh, Cece, thank you so much for being on the show. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am too. So just for, for context, uh, for new listeners, Merchants of Change, is our, it, it's our show that, that is really built for new sellers and people who are considering a career shift into sales. And, and it aligns with our mission here at Shift Group, we help elite athletes and military veterans become elite sales pros. And, and our podcast guests are typically former athletes or veterans who, who have found success in sales and business. And, you know, from a structure perspective, CC, we kind of start with the sports background and we go through the okay. transition to sales. And then we kind of finish with some sales nuggets you've been learning since, since you've been in the space. Is that a good plan? That sounds great. I love it. Awesome. So um, I, we mentioned this uh, early on. You're, you're our first athlete in this sport, and we, we like to we like to start really intentionally broad with our first question. And I, and I'd okay. love for you to hit on some of your fondest memories from your dance and, and your cheerleading experience. Um, where does where does your mind yeah. drift off to when I ask that? How much time do we have? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I. So for context, I was a. Portland Trailblazers cheerleader for two seasons. And then I made my way over to Dallas, where I spent four years um, all together, three being on the current squad of the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, and one being an all-star uh, cheerleader, which is a squad of retired cheerleaders that kind of fill in um, when needed. Um, and so, you know, I've done both NBA and NFL. And I love having that background because they are two completely different monsters, um, if you will. But my first initial thing that I always think of when people are like, you know, what's the best memory? Um, what do you automatically think of is locker room, both sides. You know, um, I've made my, my best friends in the locker room. Um, they were from across the, literally across the nation. You know, I have friends from, California all the way to New York. So um, just being in the locker room with especially 36 girls, you can only imagine, you know, the, the, the gossips flowing, the, you know, the, the hairsprays flying, um, everything. So um, the locker room for sure is my favorite memory. Um, and then, you know, really cool events going off of Cowboys. I, I got to dance with people like Queen and Adam Lambert. Um, I got to be on the track at Formula One in Austin, you know, for opening laps and winning winner circle, um, literally just to name a few. So that's off the field. And then you have um, the the seasons of, you know, those nail biter games, um, 
you know, just the, the Cowboy Stadium just being so loud, you can't even hear your own thoughts. Um, I think those are just, again, some of the few fond memories that I have. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love it too, because I, I, I did an episode and Tom interviewed me and he asked me, what did I miss most about sports or what, what's my favorite memory from sports? And I immediately said locker room. And I think we get that probably yeah. 80% of the time, right? So it's, it's, sure, it's really sure. cool. Um, I bet you didn't have hairspray in your locker room, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You, you would be surprised, though. I have some, I have some, some friends that are pretty, pretty set in their in their hair care ways. Believe it or not, love it, love it, love it. <laughs> I remember my 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 dad was a uh, was a referee, and I used to. In, this awesome. is like in the '90s and, and late '80s. I would go to him after, and he would. He would pack a he would pack a hair dryer and and his buddies would make <laughs> fun of go. him for, for using a hair dryer. So you do see a little surprising things sometimes. Love um, it, love it. So before we get too far in the interview, um, so I don't ask any, and and also just so other people don't that are listening to this, what are like some of the more frustrating questions people ask you about get, uh, about being a cheerleader? Yeah, you know, um, I think it comes from you know, really not knowing how much work we put in behind the scenes to um, really getting into the, like, for the boots, um, just being on the court. It really does um, come from so much background and so much extra effort just to be on the field or the court. Um, I also think, you know, fans get really excited. And sometimes they ask interesting questions. Like, I don't think you would ask a certain, you know, a a VP of sales, for instance, um, you know, I think people ask, oh, well, you're a cheerleader. Do you get paid for that? I don't think you would ever ask, um, <laughs> you know, a VP, well, do you right. get paid for that? You know, um, <laughs> I, I, I think you have to realize that we are employees of whatever organization you're a part of. Um, and, you know, you do get paid it. Um, I think overall, we, we get paid in so much more though than you know the average thing, person would think like um i get i got paid on being front row to every cowboys game you know Amazing. i got paid for um so many different events that i can't even explain meeting so many new people um i've gotten to meet so many pop stars so many celebrities um those are the things that i you know truly did the the job for in and being able to dance next to the top tier people so that's kind of what I look at. And then, yeah, you know, you, you get your funny questions here and there, but I think it's, it's, it just comes from, you know, I think a lot, a lot of people not knowing that I, I had a full-time job outside of cheerleading too. Um, so it's like a full-time job on top of a part-time job. So it's, but that part-time job being completely full-time too. <laughs> so, you know, it, it comes from that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, and, and I, I do think like, I mean, you were a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. Maybe it's the 90s kid in me, but that's like playing freaking <laughs> baseball for the Yankees. Like it is the top of the top in that field, in my opinion, right? So thank you. One of, one, one of the things I'm, I'm like obsessed with, especially as a, a new CEO, is organizational excellence. I'd yeah. love to dig in a little bit on like, what are some things that we can learn about the, the way the Cowboy cheerleaders conduct business? Are there like core values, principles, mm -hmm. like rituals and traditions that you think are, are very relevant for like business? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, I think when you, you hit a professional's, um, stage, you, it, it is a business no matter what. So you're, it's conducted as a business. Um, but you just have to really, like, I, I think of so many things that translate well to sales from just my Cowboys career in general. Um, you know, being accountable for, you know, your strengths and your weaknesses. Um, and that's what I had to do on the field. You know, I, if I was bringing the, down the team in any way, I had to really go in and make that correction and, you know, make sure that I was performing to the best of my ability, not only for myself, but for my team. Um, and then, you know, just that competitive nature. I think that's one thing that the Cowboys do really well. Um, we're all so competitive to be in those boots, but it's never, it's almost never with each other. We're competitive towards ourselves. So, you know, it's not always like, oh, well, why did she get something over me? It's more of, okay, well, I'm, you know, why am I here more so? So let me, let me be the best of my, myself and really step into the boots and perform at the best of my ability. Um, and then just having that pride, you know, the Cowboys made it so that every time I slipped on the uniform, put on my boots, it was like, I was so proud to wear that uniform. Um, after, you know, all that hard work and blood, sweat and tears that goes into it. Um, you know, you're, you're finally in the boots. So you want to wear that with, with pride. I think that's something that they do so well, you know, and you're never for a second um, comfortable, which is, I, I love that. You know, I think it's like the um, tenacity that we have to being the best um, in the industry and just kind of really, you know, holding ourselves with, with the star on, you know, on our uniform. And when, whenever we go out and we meet, you know, the community and, um, all the, all the stuff that goes on outside of the field. Um, it's really that, that pride you have when you wear that uniform. hundred percent. Yeah. And, it, and it's earned through years and years of excellence. Right. And, it, and it's, yeah, you absolutely. are, you're, you're really following, following in a, in a legacy of like, and I think companies that ca can capture that you, you tend to see like really special outcomes from too. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Now, when when you you talked about the locker room and missing the teammates the most, which I I totally relate to. When, now, when you look back at some <laughs> of your favorite teammates from Dallas or Portland, what what are some of the characteristics that your favorite favorite teammates share? Oh gosh, um, well they laugh at my jokes. That's one. Um, <laughs> and then two, I think we all it's we all bonded through the grind. I think um, you know the the teammates that were really there for you when you were having a hard night. Um, you know, the ones that you could just call at any moment and, you know, they're, they're there to really console you and empathize with you. Um, because nobody really else, you know, nobody knew what we were going through except for them. Um, nobody could relate. Um, you know, you, you would talk to, you know, my mom, I would talk to my mom and I'd be like, well, you know, this happened, this happened. And she was like, oh, it's okay, honey. You know, and I'm like, no, that's not what I needed to hear, <laughs> you know? Um, that's when you call your teammates and um, you know, we've, we've cried together. We've, we've laughed together. And I think through, through the hardest times. Um, and I think that's what made us such a tight knit team. Um, I think people, you know, just going off of the show think we're always again, competing towards each other, but I was always 
happy for somebody on my team that would get something because it was good for them. You know, again, we were never competing against each other. We were just all trying to be the best that we could individually be for the team itself. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, and, and that is uh, that obviously the show is competing to get on the team. But once you're on the team, you're a team. You know what I mean? Yeah. How, right. How, exactly. how, do you, how do you think your teammates would describe you from from your cheer days? Well, I was I think I was always the loudest laugh in the locker room. I think my director used to call me the giggle monster at one point because I would just laugh at everything. Um, and, you know, I think, again, I was I tried to be there for for the people who needed me most. Um, and really just try to make people smile. That's my biggest thing. You know, if, if you're j- enjoying what you do, I don't think there's anything that can really stop you from, you know, climbing to the top. So, so Cece, um, everybody's seen the, the cowboy cheerleaders on the field on Sundays, but can you, can you tell us, walk us through what a typical week looks like leading up to Sunday for, for you and your squad? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm actually really glad you asked this because I think a lot of people think once you make the team, it's kind of like you just jump onto the field and everything's a go, go, go moment. Um, there's so much more. I think once you make the team, it's like that's when the, the, the work begins. Um, so, you know, a, a typical game week, we have practice every night. Um, you're there for however, basically however long it takes you to nail what you need to nail. Um, and then game days, Sundays, that's a whole day in itself, depending on the, what time the kickoff is. Um, it's, you know, anywhere between five to six hours before the game, you're busing over to the stadium, you're getting ready, you're having a full game day practice, trying to get that in as soon as possible, because then you have the, the away team up on the field, you know, getting, trying to get their kicks in and their, you know, their warm ups ready, but we need the field. So we got to get that going as soon as possible. Then um, you have a pre-game performance, and then you have pre-game itself, and then the game starts off. So it's it's really just you go 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 um, during that week. It's and, but it's also you know your adrenaline's pumping the whole week because you're so excited for game day. You're so excited to put that uniform back on, and then game day is just you know you look around the stands and you're just like these Cowboys fans. They're like the best of the best fans. And, um, you know, it's America's team when you think about it. And um, everybody, it, it's fun to think that, you know, there there are some fans in that stadium that, that that's their first game and could be their last game. So you, you think about that and you want to make that game their best game day experience, you know? So that kind of, that's kind of what gets you really getting a hundred percent from kickoff to, you know, when that last whistle blows. That is such a cool mindset. Cause you're right. Who knows like what it took for those people to land in that stadium, right? Some, some people yeah, take that absolutely. for granted. That's awesome. For sure. For sure. And that's something our, our director always really harped on. You know, if you, you meet a fan, you want to, you, you have to think about if, is that the last, the first and the last impression of a cheerleader that that fan will ever have. And when you think about that, I think, you really try to make every encounter very special and very, you know, um, tailored to that person. So, you know, I always want to, it's, it's fun. You know, people come up to me and ask, you know, Oh, can I get a picture? Oh, can I, you know, get an autograph? But I want to learn about you. You know, where did you come from? Where, you know, why are you visiting? Are you here for just the game? Are you, you know, are you having fun in Dallas? Anything like that. 
Like it's, it's really, you know, you, I want to make that encounter as special for you as it is to me. So that's amazing. That's amazing. And, and I can, I, I agree. It, they are, they're America's team. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit as a kid who grew up in New England in the nineties that I had a Dallas Cowboys starter jacket before, before Tom love Brady it. rolled, before Tom Brady rolled yeah. into, into town and anyone who tells you differently is full of crap. Um, I love it. So, so you're, so you're on the field in Dallas on a Sunday, you know, December, January, end of the season. And, <laughs> and you're just dreaming of cold calling strangers and, and pitching them <laughs> software, right? Like you just, I, so obviously I'm, I'm joking, yes. but like, like what, like what happened? How, how did you end up in sales? Did you, did you look in other careers? Yeah. So I actually, um, you know, like I said before, I had a full career, um, while right. I was dancing, I was in PR and communications. Um, That's and right. I did that for four and a half years. Um, and I absolutely loved it. I worked for the American Heart Association and, you know, I'm working for a mission like theirs. It's really gives, uh, meaning behind your work. Um, but I think in the role that I was in, I felt that I had really exhausted the role itself and kind of, felt like I wasn't growing in any other way. Um, and, you know, that happens. It was nothing against, um, you know, my my team or anything like that. I think it was just the role, maybe the industry that I was in. And I, I felt like there was, um, without dance, I wasn't being completely fulfilled. Um, I think that's another thing that a lot of people don't talk about is retirement from, you know, a professional sport. It you go through an entire cycle of, you know, um, questioning, like, you know, not, I, I don't want to say it's an identity crisis because, um, I don't think that's like the correct term of it, but I think you really do go through like, you know, what's, what's fulfilling to me now, now that, you know, my sport is gone. Um, and I know a lot of people can't really until you hit that spot because I, you know, I was like, sometimes you just move on. But it's not that simple in a lot of cases. So um, when I retired, I moved to Seattle. And um, my boyfriend actually is a retired athlete as well. He was a wide receiver in the NFL for seven seasons. And, um, you know, we talked about kind of how you bounce back, you know. And I really, in my way, thought I needed to just really dive into something completely new that I can spend all of my time and energy really just learning industries in and out. So I had a mentor here in Seattle, as well as my sister. My sister is an NFL cheerleader as well, and she is in tech as well. And she was like, they were both telling me, you know, try sales, try, try something, you know, like something very people oriented um, that I can really talk to different people from all over the place. Um, and I think when you think of sales for the first time, you really think of something um, like aggressive. And, you know, I, I, I didn't want a cold call. I thought that was, you know, when it, when people get cold calls, they immediately hang up on you. I'm like, oh, gosh, like who wants that rejection in their life? Like asking for that rejection. Um, but then I, I thought about it and I was like, you know, how why am I judging it based on just that? You know, I don't know anything other than that. Um, and so when I looked, I was looking at new positions, um, outreach where I work now, um, in their job description, it had, if you um, had been involved in competitive sports like dance, I've never seen that before. And I 
that really hit me hard because I was like, you know, this company respects dance, you know, as, as a competitive sport, which a lot of, I, I don't think a lot of people do, which is fine. But I think because a lot of people don't understand what, you know, the work behind it again. Um, and so when I, I interviewed and I, I got the job, I was like, just so excited to try something new again, just dive in full on and learn from bottom up. And I've, I couldn't have asked for a better switch because I love what I do. I look that, forward to those cold calls now. <laughs> that is, that is awesome. How, how, like what's been the hardest part about going from, I mean, that Dallas Cowboy cheerleader is the pinnacle of a cheerleading career. So like, uh, what was it like starting over as, and, 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 and you were, obviously you were crushing it in PR and marketing. So like, what is that like start over? What, what was the hardest part about that? Yeah. You know, I think it's an ego thing, to be honest with you. I think I really had to bite the bullet and, and, and kind of realize that if I'm going to start in a new industry, you have to go from bottom up. And, you know, we, we've all been there. I think you just don't want to go back there. Um, but like, for instance, you know, I, to start in my professional dance career, I couldn't have just jumped into the Cowboys. You know, I had to start from somewhere. And I thought, I thought of it like that. And again, I, I was like, you know, I don't want to start with people that are just out of college, just, you know, very entry level position. But then I thought, you know, so many people have restarted their careers. It's, it's really just myself holding me back at that point. Um, and then, you know, when you start connecting with people and realizing people have made career switches from, you know, 20 years old to however, you know, however old they may be, like, it's always, there's always going to be somebody that's going to make that switch. So I was like, why not now? Totally, totally. The, the analogy we use, because we, we work with a lot of professional athletes and we also work with like a lot of special operators from the military, like yeah. Navy SEALs right. and Green Berets. And they push back like, I, you know, I don't want to do a BDR job. Like I, I have all this life experience. I should be, I should be able to start as account executive. And, and the example, like we'll tell a Navy SEAL, like, okay, would you bring LeBron, LeBron James on a combat mission? And they're like, right. no, exactly. He's, he doesn't know the fundamentals. Exactly. And we're like, exactly. Like, and, yep. and, and, and the Dallas Cowboys aren't going to pick up a Navy SEAL to be their quarterback because he was a Navy SEAL. Like you gotta, right. you gotta start exactly. over. And, and to your point, it's all about ego. Like you gotta get, you gotta kind of, ego's the enemy. You gotta kind of get over that. It you is. Know what I mean? And it is hard, you know, going from, you know, the top of the top to going into a new career at the bottom. Um, but then, you know, you also think, how do I build respect in my new industry? It's from really working and, you know, cold calling, you know, when I, when I talk to VPs, directors, execs, whoever it may be, they respect the grind of a cold call. Um, I know a lot of people think, you know, and don't get me wrong, you do get the rejections, you do get the hangups, um, but you get that in, I got that in dance too, you know, and I, I'm used to that, which um, I think also helped me a lot. I think athletes have um, that hard skin of rejection and can handle that, um, which I think is amazing. Totally, totally, and and a, and a huge part of the transition, and I can tell you kind of have this down a little bit. So I'm curious to get your your take on it. But it's it's really about telling your story, right? And how mm -hmm. and how it is setting you up for for sales success. So we we have 
you know, some, some folks in our program now from a dance background, from a cheering background. Can you talk a little bit, like, how about how you framed your experience from dance and cheer in a way that made you, like, a really great candidate for outreach? Yeah. Okay. So then um, I also thought, you know, in the, in the outreach um, interview process, I really harped on the fact that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't just a cheerleader. Obviously, that the dance background is half half the battle, but also I was a brand ambassador, um, which I think sales is huge for being, you know, you are the ambassador for your product. Um, so can I talk to people? Can I really, can I make them listen to me? Um, and and am I enjoyable to talk to, basically? It's a, it's, it's a people game at the end of the day. Yep. It really is. So, totally. um, you know, when we've had Cowboys have had us through media training, um, you know, set us out on events where you're with, you know, uh, not only corporate events. So you could be talking to executives from different companies, huge companies, but also celebrities, um, you know, in front of the media. I we've we've been on a ton of events where you're, you're on the fly. They hand you a mic. They're going to ask you a few questions. Can you answer them eloquently? And without the Cowboys having to worry that they put you in front of any, like the media and you don't know what you're talking about. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm trained to not only know, um, now my product, but how, how can I talk to a sales leader so that they would listen to me and care for what I, I need to say to them? That's, I love that. The brand ambassador thing. That's a layup. It's so true though. Cause you like, yeah. you're the face of the, the Cowboys. You're the face of outreach now. Right, right. Whatever segment segment of accounts that you're calling on. Yeah, and I, I think you know a lot of people don't realize, but next to the players, we're the most recognized faces of the brand. So, um, and that goes for any professional athlete. You, you're a face of the brand, no matter what sport you play. Um, if you're on the roster, you are part of the brand. So, um, I think that translates really well um, in sales. You know, I'm. I'm an SDR and I work for outreach. So I represent outreach, whether I'm on a work event or I'm, you know, just out having fun on a weekend, you know, at the beach or anything like that, you know, just meeting new people. Totally. Totally. So that's, that's a good, that's a really good nugget for our listeners. Um, now get, getting into sales, right? We, We've had we've had folks on this on this show that were in sales like when me and you were in diapers, CC. So <laughs> I think it's actually refreshing to get somebody that's that's newer to to the to the industry a little bit. Um, sure. And outreach is obviously you guys are a wagon, right? Like you you guys are are killing it, growing, and you know pre pretty well known for your SDRs, uh, your SDR business and your organization. So I, I'd love to know mm -hmm. like what are some of the concepts or tactics that that they're teaching you in training that you think are, are have been the most helpful for you so far in the day-to-day -day grind you talked about yeah absolutely so um i think one of the big things is when i'm cold calling i really did take rejection in the beginning um very to heart um i think you have to get rid of that like immediately i think yes. um when you kind of yeah, when you kind of realize that the person you're calling is, um, you know, uh, you don't know them and you're really just trying to help them in some way. It's not, you know, um, I'm not trying to 
beg you to listen to me. I'm really calling because I've done research and this is why and how outreach can help you. Um, so when I get that into my head, it's, it's not like I'm, and I'm a, a big person of, I don't want to bother anybody on it. You know, I don't want to bother you during your day. I want to be respectful of your time. But when I think about it of the reason why I'm calling is so that I can help you in some way, that's, that's a huge like mindset change, you know, of that's how I'm going to approach a cold call. That's so good. It's so true. Like, I, and I think I take it for granted because I've been in sales for so long. Like, a, it's right. like water off the back when I get a rejection. Yeah. But it is initially, it's hard. You take it personally for sure. <laughs> you do. You do. And I think, you know, especially an athlete coming into, um, when, when you come into this industry, you want your, your immediate response is to be perfect. I think any professional athlete, you have that sense of perfection that, um, is built in when you're, you're playing your sport or you're, you're, you're doing your sport. So, you know, I, I came in thinking that I'm, I, every time I picked up that call or that phone, I was going to book a meeting every call and you got to get over that hump of, um, you know, you're not going to get every fish in the sea, but you know, you're going to, you're going to try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and per, Perfect is the enemy of great too. So it's, you yes, almost got to remind exactly. yourself of it, just like sports. Um, yeah, exactly. now, Tom told me that you're part of a team that is like in office at out, outreach. Yeah. Do you think that that's helped you get off to a fast start? Can you talk a little bit about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, you know, I think I was a part of the wave too of before COVID um, happened. I, I was in office every day. So I was very used to the office grind of, you know, uh, of a job. Um, when I was, I mean, my first couple of years on Cowboys, I went to the office from eight to four thirty. Drove to our facility, got ready at, you know, five five thirty. Practice at seven. Go till the wee hours of the night, and then, um, you know, you do it all again. So the office never hindered me in any way. But I think in terms of when you are going into a new industry, when you're learning a new role, I think an office environment is huge. Um, because especially, you know, um, when I'm making my first cold calls, having my, my team around me dialing, you know, listening to their conversations, what do I like well, or that they did well, um, on that call? How did they book that person? Um, I think that is what really helped me in learning. Um, of course, you know, I, I'm all for the remote days here and there because the flexibility is nice, obviously. But I think in terms of, again, learning new, um, new skills in, in terms of, in sales, I think an office in an office environment is great to have. I don't think it can be understated how much learning is done through osmosis yeah. versus yeah, like absolutely. in these, in these structured like trainings and things, you, mm -hmm. you're just going to learn good and bad habits that you don't want to do because absolutely. It's, it, it's a lot easier to recognize a bad habit in someone else, even mm -hmm. if you already have that bad habit. Right. Like, yeah. so I, I, I think I, 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 I'm really glad you emphasize that part of being in the yeah. office because it accelerates right. your it accelerates your learning significantly. It does. Mind. It does. Absolutely. And you know, even 
when I have a bad call, I think just having the people around you that are like, you know what, actually, you did great. I Here's what I would do differently. That's what I need, you know, because I, I, I know there's going to be those bad calls. I do. And, but I want to know how I can go forward from it. Um, I think it's a lot like, um, I always tell my boyfriend this because, um, I, we have a, a conversational intelligence aspect to our platform where you can listen back to your calls, um, and really learn from, you know, what you did well and what you didn't. And I listened to those, like he did film and we did film as well. So it's like, it's really like watching film. Um, and that's helped me a ton in, in growing in the role itself too, because I, you know, I, I can listen to also my growth, you know, from the first few calls of me kind of stuttering, you know, trying to get my pitch out, um, <laughs> to now where I'm just having a conversation with a prospect, um, again, learning what, what goes into their sales process now and, you know, what their day to day looks like. And again, how can I help you? So that's so good. It's so good. It's so true too. <laughs> um, now question, question before we get to our last two. So yeah. The Cowboys, a Cowboys or a Trailblazers uh, dancer calls you um, and they're considering a shift into sales. So kind of a two-part question. What mm-hmm. are you asking them to help them figure out if sales is a good fit? And mm-hmm. what type of company or opportunity are you pointing them to? Yeah, for sure. That's That's awesome. I think I'm always, I love connecting with athletes, especially, you know, trying to get them into um, new roles, um, because I've been there, you know, it's, it's a hard, um, it's one of those vulnerability things that, you know, you just have to knock down your walls and really ask for help in terms of getting you into a new role. Um, so I'm going to throw that out if anybody ever does need that. But, um, I think, you know, are you ready for the grind again? I think a lot of people being at a top tier, you kind of think I'm going to go from a top tier to a top tier again where you, you have to be willing to get that top tier back to the bottom again. So, um, you know, are you ready for the grind of sales? Are you ready to really, I want to say drink from a fire hose? You know, it's, it's yeah. a lot of information coming at you at once. But, um, you know, being, being able to adapt to, you know, a new role, a new cadence of work, um, and, and just really put your full self in it. Um, in terms of what role, there's so many roles in sales um, or in in tech, and then sales is just you know a, a small sector of it. But I do think that starting from the bottom has helped me um, really realize how to talk to sales leaders. Um, you know what's important to a sales leader, um, and and how to really make somebody listen to me in, in, you know, what, what they're caring about so that they, they can realize, you know, what do you bring to the table? Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think asking questions is, is like such a important skill to have as, as a salesperson. Totally. Yes. Yes. And I think some people think that, you know, when you, when you're cold calling, you have to ask really complex questions. Whereas you really don't. You're you're trying to understand what how that business functions, um, you know, so that you can you can not only you yourself understand it, but tell them again how can you help in certain aspects. Yeah, I think like this is a little off topic, but like 
but you hit the nail on the head, right? That a lot of people have this like premonition of sales being like the lying, the pitching products, the high pressure <laughs> tactics. And I think like the way I usually explain to people why it's not like that anymore, it's it's mainly because of the 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 access to information is the same. So when mm-hmm. I call someone to sell them my product, they have the same access to information that I have. What I have to do is I have to figure out if, if, if they've thought about the problem that I solve <laughs> in, in a way that would put us in a position to say, well, here's how we think is a good way to solve it. And here's how we've done it. Here's some examples of customers that have done it based off the research right. I've done in your company and things that I've learned. Here's why I think we'd be a great fit. So it's, again, it's not like I'm not pressuring them into it. I'm seeking to understand. And then when right. I do, and, and I do feel like it's the right solution, that's when you know, you do want to, you, you know, my old saying when I ran sales teams was win them over or run them over. Like if you know you're right and the person yes. you're talking to maybe doesn't agree with you, that usually means you're you're at the wrong level. And, and there is a little exactly. bit of, you do have to be a little aggressive sometimes. But for the most part, it's, mm-hmm. it all starts with empathy, in my opinion. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, all right. These are our last two questions. We ask every guest these questions. So the first one, we, we like to ask our guests to highlight one of the skills that you have that's, that's made you elite in sales. What do, you, what do you think that one skill that you have uh, that, that has made a huge difference for you? You know, I really do think it's being able to talk to people. And I know that sounds so simple, but I think it's a, I don't want to say a lost quality anymore, but I think a lot of people... Um, aren't able to hold a, a, a simple conversation anymore. And um, we all have to realize that in sales, it's really people talking to people. You know, um, I, I don't want to come off as a robot. I don't want to come off as, you know, just focused on um, just selling the product. I really want to understand your company, what your company does, and again, how I can help you. So um, holding that conversation and being comfortable in, you know, sometimes there's silence on the phone. Be comfortable in the silence um, and and really listen. I think a lot of people, um, I mean, I was I was guilty of this too. You know, when you're when you're so focused on like booking a meeting, for instance, you don't listen to what the prospect, all all the information that the prospect is giving you. So you really have to sit and listen and realize you know, what's working for them, what isn't, and kind of, again, attack what what makes sense from your product standpoint to their company. So I think, again, just really holding a conversation is is what I think I thrive on. I love it. I love it. That, and that's <laughs> so, I mean, that's what sales is. It's communication and collaboration, right? And then, Absolutely. I mean, obviously, the the outcome you're trying to drive is is to to move. I, I call it moving people. It's it's mm-hmm. you know ch- changing their hearts and minds, obviously. But it's if you right. can't communicate, you don't know how to collaborate with people. You're never going to convince, motivate, or influence them or persuade them. Like that, it starts with communication. So that's absolutely. Awesome. And I think that's where you build your respect. Um, you know, if you can accurately communicate with somebody. I think they respect you a lot more um, and, 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 and that comes with too. the grind and, trust you. and they trust you. Yeah. Yes. And that comes with the grind, you know, um, when you're putting in the work behind a call, you know, they, 
when you have your research, when you know what you're, you're, you're really speaking to, I think people really respect you more. And that's, um, you know, you don't want to have a generalized pitch. I think it's good to have, you know, in your back pocket, but you want to really personalize. It's, it's like how I, I was talking to you about that first meeting with somebody when I was with the Cowboys. If I'm meeting somebody for the first time, I really want to personalize that that interaction I have with them because that may be the first or last time they're they're talking to a Cowboys cheerleader. So same thing. You know, I, I want to really personalize that conversation because this may be the first or last time you're having a conversation with somebody from outreach. So true. So true. So we think one of the reasons we focus on athletes and, and veterans, uh, CC, is because I don't have to explain to you what it means to be dialed in, right? Um, and and we think the highest praise you can give a salesperson is saying, "Hey, this this person is dialed in." So I, I want to mm-hmm. know, like, when we talk about sales, what does being dialed in mean to you as a sales professional? Probably being dialed in, I would say, is you know just really knowing knowing your strengths more so. I think um, that that's probably the best thing you can do for yourself is really knowing your strengths, but recognizing your weaknesses. Um, I think that's what makes you a pro in anything, um, you know, in terms of just knowing your product, obviously, but knowing how to speak to people, knowing your target, knowing, you know, the problems you can fix. Um, and then recognizing your weaknesses in, in, in terms of, you know, am I doing my right research? Am I um, am I asking for help? I think sales is a huge place to ask for help. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of times ego can get in the way of asking for help. Um, once you kind of get that out of the way, um, and, and be vulnerable to ask for help, that's what makes you a pro. Um, I, I know not even just in sales, but for cowboys, I had, I had to ask so many people for help, you know, just, what does the process look like? You know, um, do I, do I look like the current cheerleaders that are dancing? Do, you know, do I have that potential? You know, what, what advice can you give me? Take that advice and really, that's another thing, huge thing too, is not only when you receive feedback, but really applying the feedback to making you better. Um, that, that's a strength not all people have. A lot of people don't want to listen to feedback when, um, because, you know, sometimes it can be very, um, you know, people just don't want to listen to the criticism, honestly. But, um, when you kind of break down that wall and, and accept the feedback and, uh, turn it into something new, that's when, that's when you're a pro. I love it. Knowing your strengths and recognizing your weaknesses, by the way, like if you ask, a professional athlete that same question of what it means to be dialed in they should have the same exact answer in Absolutely. my opinion right because it's Absolutely. like if you know your if you know your strengths you know how to play or yep. compete and if you recognize your weaknesses you know what you need to work on and you put in the time to do it so Absolutely. so good so good cc thank you so much for joining us this this is one of my favorite thank conversations thank you so much for oh thank you so much for having me i'm so i'm so glad that um, I could be a cheerleader on the show too, because, um, thank you for <laughs> recognizing that as a, a professional sport. I appreciate that. And, um, seriously, if 
Um, there's anybody out there that has more questions about sales or, you know, athletes going to sales. I'm all, uh, please connect with me on LinkedIn, all the things. Yeah. You just can't, you just can't get them interviews at outreach. That's the only rule. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Cece, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io. 